Well, um, it's good to be back here in Wichita Falls. You're like, Cody, I saw you here last week. What do you mean? I was here last week, uh, but then we left on Monday and we went to uh, Galveston through Thursday and then we tried to make it back and we couldn't make it back uh, because it was just so far and we got caught in that Houston traffic and and we said, you know what, three kids, not going to happen. But uh, we all have uh, expectations whenever we go on vacations, do we not? We, we try to hit all these healthy markers. We want to be relaxed and we want to be refreshed. And we want to, uh, you know, maybe have a date night with the spouse or, or maybe just have some fun memories that you form with your kids. And you have all these marks that you're trying to hit whenever you're on vacation. And we got there on Monday uh, after going through the Houston traffic and surviving it, uh, I'm from, I, I grew up primarily in Bowie, Texas. And so in Bowie, Texas, there is no uh, traffic. And then I went to the big city of Lubbock, Texas, and lived out there for 12 years. Zero traffic there. Their city planning is just impeccable. It's just amazing. There's never any traffic anywhere in Lubbock. And so I get to Houston, I'm just like a fish out of water, terrified. And then all of a sudden, I have to get it all together and put on a brave face for my kids and, and show them what the ocean is for the very first time. And I'm like, oh, the ocean, it's awesome, it's big, like it magnifies God's beauty and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm, t- I'm holding hands with uh, my, my four-year-old and six-year-old and like, taste it. Like, it, it's, it's different, it's salty. Isn't this amazing, these waves? Who's, pr- who's making these waves? These waves are awesome. Where are they coming from? This is amazing. And I let go of Brooke's hand for 3.2 micro. He leaves screaming, just the whelps on his, on his legs. And other and just be like, you know, I'm gonna be a good, my kids, and, uh, and as we're, holding hands out there. The jellyfish thing happens. Then we have a, a neighbor friend that comes across uh, the way and just says, yeah, there's a lot of jellyfishes out here. I'm like, okay, wow. Oh, that's terrifying. I was like, hi, my name's Cody. And she's like, this is what you need to do. And I kid you not, this is a quote. You probably need to pee on that right now. And I'm like, that was, a, I was in the car for seven hours. I, I, I emptied it all out. Uh, uh, that was the first thing I did. I was like, oh, now I got to get it all together. And, and um, so I'm, I'm up in the bathroom trying to tell, uh, tell Brooks that I'm putting together some medicine real fast to put on his leg. He's screaming this entire time. And I'm just trying to hide that situation. I, I put a little in the sink. I stirred something in there. And uh, I was like, okay, the, here comes the medicine. And just dumped. Never done that before. That was weird. Uh, <laughs> And uh, all, all in all, all in all, it was a little bit uphill after that, <laughs> but I don't know if I hit all, all the marks, and uh, let me say a couple of things uh, just right out of the, the jump. That was a grace to me. That was a grace to me as your pastor, to remember that rest does not come from vacation. Rest comes from Christ. Amen? <laughs> that, that the rest is found in Christ and Christ alone. He is our Sabbath rest. And so it, all the hopes that I had that this was going to be an amazing, you know, relaxing, you know, beach-filled, coffee-sipping vacation was shot, you know, just was shot from the very, from the very uh, jump. And uh, that was a grace to me. Uh, the next day, I had to deal with a very, 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 very sick wife. And he said, it's not COVID. Um, praise God. Here's a praise. Uh, we're expecting our fourth kid. Uh, that's why uh, she was very, very, very sick. And so she's been experiencing morning sickness. And let me say this. As your pastor, I'm doing everything I can to grow this church, okay? <laughs> everything I possibly can to grow Redeemer Church. And so, yeah, it just, it, the, the, marks, the marks that we were trying to hit, 
for this vacation, the, the secular idealism. It just, it, it didn't pan out. It didn't pan out for us. Uh, there was things that went wrong over and over and over. And we didn't, we didn't make it back on Thursday. We were supposed to be done on Thursday. We had to call an audible and, and find a place to stay, which was fun as well. But I, the only reason I bring any of that up is besides that it's just you kind of laugh and mourn with those who mourn and laugh with those who laugh um, is because what we see here in this text is we see the healthy marks of a disciple through the life of John the Baptist. We see the healthy marks that we need to be um, looking at and uh, uh, observing within our own hearts and seeing if they're manifesting within us because what John is going to show us here is he's going to show us what healthy marks are because he's the first guy that kind of got it, right? He's the first guy that looked at Jesus and said, hey, behold, this, this is the one. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And so let's look at how uh, John, John the Apostle looks at John the Baptist and says, he gets it. He's being transformed. So let's see how he's being transformed. But even before we jump into that, I want to very quickly talk about a historical perspective. Historical perspective of how Christians have always been different. And this is important for us to remember. As we're looking at the marks of John, we need to look at the historical perspective of how Christians are different um, and have been different ever since the resurrection of the Son of God. Two ways, uh, primarily, that it doesn't matter what culture you're in, doesn't matter what century you're in, doesn't matter what continent you're in, whenever Christians are salt and light in this community, they, man they manifest themselves in two distinct ways from the culture. Number one, they have a radical care for those that are poor and marginalized. They have a radical care. Uh, uh, in Rome, we see writing after writing after writing from secular writers, secular historians that had a disdain for the Christians in the first and second centuries. And you know the thing that they were so annoyed with I see, uh, see, I say they had a, a love for the poor, and, and we say, oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a good thing. That's because we're brought up in a kind of a Christianized culture that, that thinks that's a good thing. That used to not be thought of as a good thing long ago. It used to be thought of as, you know, they, they, were, they lived a bad life. It was either a cyclical life uh, worldview that was going on before Christ, where it's like they probably lived a bad life before, and they're reaping what they sow in this life. That's why they were born into a poor family or something like that. Or they were just saying, why would you care? Life is hard enough already. Why would you care about those that are sick and needy and poor and marginalized on the sides? We have this empathy because we have been standing on the backs of Christians building culture for centuries and centuries and centuries. Praise God for that, by the way. Praise God. But what we see here, what we see here is in Rome, they had such a disdain for the Christians. They said, they're taking care of everyone's poor. Every, everywhere we look, they, think that, they must think they're so much better because they don't just take care of their own poor. They don't just share with their own needs. They take care of our poor who don't even believe the same way that they believe. They're, they're, they're radically different. They're radically different. And here's another way that they're radically different. They're radically different in their sexual ethics. No, no matter what culture they go into, they're radically different in their sexual ethics with, uh, with just strict monogamy, no sexual immorality whatsoever. Whenever it comes to how we manifest our bodies, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we either see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ with all purity, or we see each other as husband and wife. There is no in-between. There is no in-between, and this is the sexual ethics that, we, that Christians historically have had from the very jump. And notice what's interesting about that. 
that doesn't fit into any normative category here in America whenever we think about worldview, right? Because if you think of uh, the, the left, the left hears, uh, politically speaking, let, let's, talk, let's talk through that. The left here, poor and the marginalized, that is a profound good. In fact, we're building our platform on that to, to some, some degree. But that, that sexual ethic thing, no, 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 no. We are for LGBTQIA. We're also for that. And so we don't know what you're talking about, Christians, whenever you talk about uh, only man, only woman for life in a monogamous relationship. We have no idea what you're talking about there. You, you, are, being, uh, uh, you are being regressive sexually in, in, in this ethic. And so the left over here is saying, well, this is, a, this is the road that we have chosen to go, and Christians don't even fit in it. And over here on the right, over here on the right, historically, there has been like uh, the, kind of the same view as the Romans. Whenever, it, whenever you think of the, the poor and the marginalized, you say, well, why, why are we even bothering? Why are we bothering? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. They can too. Uh, if they're poor, they're, 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 the, they're staying there themselves. They're doing it themselves. So there's this right dichotomy of where, like, yeah, we understand the sexual ethics and the, the monogamous relationship, and that's a, that's a moral good for our culture. And I think that's good for the family, and strong families build good cities, and strong cities build good states, and strong states build, build good countries and all that stuff. But over here, but over here with the, the, the whole idea of the poor is they just need to get in line with the, the, the cultural norms that I've embraced myself. And, then, um, and if they don't do it, then... It's on their own head, right? And Jesus says, no, there's a third way. There's a third way to where we radically give ourselves to those that are poor and marginalized, that even in COVID-19 or something like this, we run towards. We run towards those that are, that are sick and that are suffering. We run into. We don't avoid. Don't avoid. Even think, think through. Think through the, uh, the kind of the, the cultural moment that we're in. Stay away from each other. Stay away. We might have a contagion that's going on. Does that not sound demonic? Almost demonic. Stay away from one another? No, Christians, they press in. They press in. Martin Luther. Now, this is historical. During the Reformation, uh, guess what? Uh, the plague. The plague that decimated like higher European, decimated, almost started over uh, the entire European experience. Martin Luther was writing his uh, theses and was writing all of his stuff during that period. And there was a, there was a, a, a writing where Martin Luther was talking about, uh, he was corresponding with a couple of pastors that had been influenced by his teaching. And he said, the plague has come to our city. What do we do? What do we do? Do we flee like everyone else to try to avoid this plague? Or, or do we stay here and do we pastor, pastor this city? And Martin Luther res responded with this. Dear sirs, stay there and die. Stay there and die. The mission of God is not done. It's not done. So we, we move forward. We press in. We care. We go, we go further, further up and further in with people's lives. While, while uh, this, uh, in our cultural moment, we're, we're hurting and we're suffering. And it's sad. We've got to remember, and from a historical perspective, almost every single start of hospitals, almost every single start of orphanages, pregnancy centers, all run by Christians. All run by Christians. We enter in. We press in. We've got to remember this, right? We've got to remember what makes us distinct. And we've got we to step away 
from what the right is telling us and what the left is telling us. We have to step away from that and say, no, what is Jesus calling me to? Because he's Lord. He's Lord. It doesn't matter who you voted for in November 2020. You don't, it doesn't matter who, uh, what political party you subscribe to. Your Lord, your kingdom isn't here. It's here, is not here. You are, you're an ambassador for Christ, which means you're in a foreign land. And you got to live, live according to him. There's a historical perspective of how we've been transformed and changed. And we have to care for those that are on the margins of society. And we have to look at what God is saying and say, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that with our bodies. We're going to do that with everything. Because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. So what are the marks of John here? What are the marks of John? I have two, I have three, kind of two. I'll, I'll combine the last two of what we see here from John. Number one, John was transformed with humility, with humility because of Jesus. And number two and three, he was transformed with tenacity and with boldness because of Jesus. So number one, he was transformed with humility because of Jesus. And number two, he was transformed with tenacity and boldness because of Jesus himself. So let's look. Let's look at uh, number one, transformed with humility. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in verse 20, let me reread this that Gary read earlier. He says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you? And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us, but do you say, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's who I am. That's who I'm at. They were saying, hey, you're you're a big deal. Crowds are following you. Uh, There's a lot of buzz going around Galilee and kind of all this whole area. Have you heard that guy that dresses funny and eats bugs and honey and like all it lives off the land? And have you heard about this guy? Have you gone out to go see him? He's baptizing people. And he was saying, hey, your ministry is getting big. And he doesn't say, "Um, yeah, it's getting big. Y'all better listen up. He, what does he do? He says, I'm not even worthy to talk about the guy that I'm talking about. Verse 27, I'm unworthy to even tie, to untie the, the, the strings of his sandals. Here in um, this culture, everywhere you went, obviously you had shoes and you had sandals. There wasn't a whole lot of paved surfaces. Um, Rome was working on that during, the, uh, during this time, but it was just muddy, slaw everywhere you go, all right? And so if it rains, your feet got really, really muddy. And this was such a degrading thing for this culture that whenever they entered into a house, there was either a servant, there was either a servant or a slave um, during, during that um, time that would be the one that would wash all the feet whenever they entered in. And it was a very degrading thing. The master of the house never did it. That's why it was such a big deal whenever Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Remember that? Whenever he's like, oh, what are you, what are you doing? You can't do this. You are Lord. How can you even wash my feet? And he says, I says, this is the only way that you're going to be clean, is that you let me take the role of a servant in your place. And so what John is saying here is he's saying, I'm below even that servant. I'm below even that slave. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. That's how other, that's how distinct, that's how different he is. So what John is saying here. As John is saying, is, uh, he has to view himself as soft in order to make Jesus loud. He, has to, um, he must decrease so that God and Jesus must increase. He 
He was not worthy of Jesus, and he freely admitted it. He confessed it, and then this passage says he confessed it twice to emphatically say, I'm different. I'm pointing you to, to Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about me. I am unworthy. And you might be thinking, Cody, are you saying, like, that's the role of the Christian? Is constantly be down on yourself and be like, oh, man, I'm unworthy. I was like, don't we need self-esteem? Cody, isn't that what we need? We need to be built up, right? This is, this is an era of tremendous, and I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken to even read this next statistic to us. But uh, I was looking up antidepressants within our cultural moment. And in 2019, antidepressants was a $14.3 billion, billion dollar industry. That's a lot of pills. It's a lot. And I'm not saying anything about the efficacy of it. That's between you and your, doc, you and your doctor or, or anything like that. But then this is what's sad and this is what's devastating. 2020 rolls around. And it turned into a $28.6 billion industry. It almost doubled. It almost doubled. So you might be saying, Cody, doesn't sound like we need to be down on ourselves. It doesn't sound like we need to be saying, oh, man, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. It sounds like we need to be building people up because it's, we're in a cultural moment where a lot of people are depre- depressed. Right? Uh, the numbers don't lie. The pandemic, the, 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 the job loss, the anxiety, it's real. The numbers don't lie. The, the massive industry doubled in size. Never happened before in the history of modern medicine. And yet, um, bash, 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 so that you are like, I despise myself. I, I, I dislike myself. I'm a terrible person. And you say, bad, Cody, bad, Cody, bad, Cody. I'm not saying, I'm not saying any of that. There's another way that you can say, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. It means that you are actually freed, freed from, and you forget yourself. See, what happens a lot of times whenever, uh, whenever we're saying, oh, I hate myself, I hate, I hate myself, I hate myself, that's just the inferior form of pride. See, there's a superior form of pride and there's an inferior form of pride. The superior form of pride is just like super self-confident, um, thinks they know it all, thinks they, uh, something comes up, it's like, well, actually, I heard about this. And, you know, like, uh, and whenever vaccines get brought up or Fauci gets brought up or whatever gets brought up that's a hot topic, they're like, well, the latest data, whatever. What, um, that's the superior form of pride saying that you know everything that's going on at all times. And that you're a gift to the world, right? That's, uh, that's pretty obvious whenever, we, whenever you see it. But what I think is plaguing a lot, of, um, a lot of Western culture, especially young people, especially young people, is this inferior form of pride to where you're thinking of yourself too much. And you're constantly calculating, right? You're, you walk into a room, it's like, oh, man, what do I need to sit? And I was like, what, what do I need to do. Uh, I need to make sure that people are like me in my area. Is where, where do people raise hands in this congregation? I need to sit by them. Okay, um, oh, they're young. Oh, she's cute. I'm gonna go over there. You know, like we're constantly working through, constantly working through, and just thinking of yourself. Don't walk into a room or a, con- uh, or a congregation like this or a coffee shop or walk into work and, you, and you, you're not thinking, how can I serve other people? How can I bless other people? You're, you're so self-conscious of like, I got to make sure I say the right thing. 
Oh man, was, and did I present both sides? Was I fair and balanced? Um, what does this person want to hear? I want to make sure I say that over there. And you're just so, you're constantly calculating, constantly calculating. And, and guys, that is pride. That's thinking of yourself too much. That's what that is. Uh, see, in the fall, I've, I've said this, I feel like three or four times, but it's worth repeating. See, in the fall, what happened was we were, we were made to love, correct? And whenever we were made to love, we were made to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we were made to love other people around us as ourselves. But in the fall, that turned inward. See, our love was supposed to go outward towards the world and towards God. And then in the fall, our love just turned into self-love. It just turned into self-love to where you're constantly calculating, you're constantly thinking that you are the gift to God's great humanity, that you need to be the one that's in charge. Give me the ball, coach. Put me in. I need to be the one that is talking about COVID-19. I need to be the one that's talking about the vaccines. I need to be the one that is in charge of the hospital. I need to be the one, whatever, whatever. And so we got we to gotta look for that third way. We gotta look for that third way that says, you know what? No, I, I don't have this inferior complex. I don't have this superior com- complex. I, uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way uh, we don't need to be thinking um, of ourselves too much or too little. We need to be thinking of ourselves less. We need to be thinking of ourselves less. And so here's the point here's the point for every one look that you look to yourself, you need to be looking a hundred times to Christ a hundred times to Christ and say, what does he say about me? What is he declaring about me? What are the truths that I need to be believing? What is he, what is he professing over me? What is he calling me to? What does he promise me? And whenever we look at those things, guess what? Our self fades away and our loves manifest. The, uh, the loves, the right order of our loves, of loving other people and loving God, they get back in order. They get back in order whenever we think of ourselves less. You see, Christianity, Christianity is really, it's a change of status that you were this and now God says you are this. You have to believe what God says about you through faith in the gospel or, or you'll be consumed with yourself. You know, always being, um, here, here's something I'm seeing a, a ton. It's like, well, you know, I just have it, I just have it bad. You'll look at all of your circumstances in life and say, and you'll compare it to someone else in, in, in your area, and you'll just say, the spirit of comparison will cripple you. And you say, well, that's just not fair. God, why are you doing this? Or why, why is this happening? Or whatever. Whatever. And whenever you get into that, you are not trusting what Jesus says about you. Christian, you're just not. So we have to believe the truth. We have to look for the truth. And the only way that we can see the truth is by beholding what John is saying about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The only way, the only way that you can get out of yourself is by beholding who Jesus actually is. That's what gripped John. Whenever John saw that, guess what? He's beginning to be radically transformed and changed. It humbled him into the dust because he said, I need this Lamb to cover me. 
Now, the mystery of the Lamb in the Old Testament is really, really important, and we cannot even understand the gospel unless we see the thread of the Lamb of God throughout all of the Bible. In Genesis 22 is the first time that we see it prop up. It's whenever uh, Abraham took his son Isaac up onto the mountain to be sacrificed. Remember this? He took him up, and Isaac, smart guy Isaac, uh, said, Hey, Father, we have wood and we have fire, but where's the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? What does Abraham say? Because Abraham, I don't know if he knew what was going on at this moment. He said, you know what? The Lord's going to provide a sacrifice. The Lord will provide a lamb. And guess what? Right before he goes to sacrifice Isaac, guess what? Was it a lamb? What is a lamb caught in the thicket? No, it was a ram. And so the mystery of the lamb continues. And it goes on to whenever uh, the people of Israel, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, and all that stuff, right? And he, he says, I need to get out of this. How are we going to get out of this? He says, take a lamb, slaughter it, and take its blood and put it over the doorpost. Put it over the doorpost. He says, what is up with this lamb motif? What's going on? Uh, whenever we had the blood of the lamb cover our doorpost, which represented our house, which represented the people in that, in, in that household, the destroyer passed over, passed over them. He's like, wow, that was interesting. Uh, there's some power in this lamb of God that he is, keeps on bringing up for our people. And in Isaiah 53, it's talking about this mysterious figure who's going to be crushed for our iniquity, who's going to be uh, stricken down. Stricken down and destroyed for the chastisement that was brought upon him will be the, uh, the thing that brings us ultimate peace. And it said, like a sheep led to the slaughter, this man, this man will not open his mouth. The Lamb of God again, talking about Jesus. And then all of a sudden it all makes sense in John's mind. And he says, I get it. I get what Abraham was doing. I get what the Passover was about. I get what Isaiah was saying. This is him. This is him. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what it did? It humbled him down into the dust. He didn't care that his ministry was big. He didn't care about any of that. He just said, I'm just trying to make straight the way of the Lord. That's all I'm trying to do. Have you been humbled by the gospel? Has it made you think of yourself less? Are you still trapped, trapped by either superior form of pride or inferior form of pride? where you're thinking too much of yourself and you're not giving away your love the way that God has called you to. Have you been transformed? Have you, have you been humbled into the dust? It only happens through beholding that, that Jesus sacrificially said that I will pull and I really want them. I like their sense of humor. They make me smile. Their hair kind of goes like, like nothing like that. We were rebels against him. And he says, I'm going. I'm going to them. And I will, I will be their substitute. Has it humbled you? Do you think of yourself less? Or have, have you been transformed and changed by what the world says? This is what you need to get ahead. This is the tenacity that you need. This is, this is the, the gregarious attitude that you need. What is it? What is it? Are you depressed into the dust because... You feel like you can't do anything right. Look to Christ either way. Look to Christ either way. John did, and it humbled him. The second thing that John, had, John did, John was transformed by tenacity and boldness. 
He was transformed by tenacity and boldness. As soon as he was transformed by the humility that Christ has given him through beholding the Lamb of God, it sent him out on mission. It sent him out. See, they asked him over and over. They asked him, verse 21, they, and they said to him, who are you? Verse 22, what do you say about yourself? Verse 22, verse 25, and they asked him again, then why? Why are you doing these things? See, the follower of Jesus needs to have these questions asked to them pretty repeatedly. Why are you the way that you are? What's going on about you? Why are you different? I had a preacher one time uh, that was really influential in my life. I was listening to him. I was in North Carolina. And he said, he said something that was so impactful that it shivered me to the, my core. And he said this, if you have never been persecuted or asked about why you are like Jesus, you might not look anything like him. I was like, oh, because I did a quick assessment of my life. I was like, who's the last person that did that? Who's the last person that looked at Cody McMurray and said, why are you different, man? Why do you have a humility about you? Why do you have a, um, a joy about you? Why do you have a love about you that's different? Why do you engage with me? Why are you not constantly thinking about the, the thing that you want to say in the conversation? And why are, you, and why are you just curious about who I am and what I'm doing? And why? Man, it, it brought strong conviction that I had to say, am I different? Is Jesus transforming me? Is there a humility that has taken over my, my life? I, I, I pass that on to you. I pass that on to you. Who's the last person? Who's the last person that's been like, you know what, why are you different, man? Hey, you're kind to me, and you invited me to coffee, and you did all this thing. Why? Why are you so nice to me? Why are you so kind? Because a follower of Jesus should have the tenacity of the mission of God to where we are constantly, constantly evoking within people, why are you doing this to me? Why are you like this to me? Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Because we, we need to remember something that I said last week, that we are all evangelists about something, right? From the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. We're always trying to sell someone on something. We're always excited about something, whether it's fantasy football, whether it's the newest Apple products, whether it's, you know, the a new recipe that you found on Pinterest or homeschool supplies or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what your thing is that you talk about, but you talk about something. There's something that you're seeing, whether it's Fortnite or whatever it is, there is something that has captured the, ma the imagination of your heart. And guess what? That's the thing that you're glorying in, and that's the thing that you're evangelizing to people. My call is, how do we together as a community make that object Christ? To make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. Because a servant is not above his master. Look at John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates, uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. Does the world hate you, Redeemer? I was like, man, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's something that I want to be known for. But it's biblical. It's biblical. Are we living a life on fire for Jesus to where the Lordship has so captured our imagination to where we say, you know what? Yeah, we're different than the world. 
We're different than the world. We're filled with compassion for them, just the way Jesus was filled with compassion for the crowds. But we are transformed. We are transformed into shaping, shaping this idea that we are not going to be conformed by comfort. We're going to be conformed by the cross. We're going to be conformed by the cross, right? You cannot be my disciples unless you pick up the cross and follow me. Do we have a crossless Christianity? Do we? Do we feel like wait, we just need a, a place where we can say, bless you, brother? Do we just need a place where we can say uh, that's positive and encouraging K-love, right? Or, or do we have a place where we say, we're taking on the yoke of Jesus together. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But he has called us to make disciples with boldness and with tenacity. That had so captured John the Baptist. The very first very first picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that everyone came out to him and was like, what's different, man? And what are you about? And how can we know it and understand it? My hope for us is that we look, we look to what John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist is representing, and we say, how can we together as a gospel-centered, authentic family of disciple makers be about that exact same thing? And you say, Cody, it sounds like a lot. That was a lot of kind of intensity and all that. But how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? How are we going to live out this mission together? Well, this is when I shamelessly plug gospel communities. Shamelessly. All right? There's a lot of people in this room. A lot of people in this room that's been checking out Redeemer, and I love that. I cherish that. I'm so thankful for that. And especially if you're in this room and you um, are not a follower of Jesus and you think I'm a crazy person right now which is valid. Okay, cool, cool. I'm so thankful that you have respectfully listened to how we talk to one another um, and honored us with your presence. That's amazing. And I re I'm really, really thankful for that. But, but for the rest of us in this room that are just like, hey, I'm kind of, kind of dating um, Redeemer Church. I'm kind of looking at um, what, what they got going on. I encourage you, here at Redeemer Church, Everything we do, every time we gather, anytime we organize a gathering, we are trying to manifest our values as a church. We want to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. You say, Cody, how are we going to make disciples? Well, the Bible describes disciple-making as a team sport. It is a team sport. If you're thinking to yourself right now, a, a really terrifying question that I'm going to present here in a second. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't know the answer to this question and, and it scares me to even let my heart go there because of the implications of what, what it means for me as a follower of Jesus. I encourage you to sit in that a little bit and then listen to my presentation. Here's the question. Who, look at the face in your mind's eye, who's the last disciple that you made? I know. It's a hard question. It's a hard question. But listen, we need each other. We need each other. The reason why we are so, so far removed from the Great Commission as a church, you want to know why? It's because we have made it all about, we made it all about this. And listen, the church of the Lord Jesus 
is all about making disciples. And that doesn't happen primarily on Sunday. It can happen on Sunday. We're going to try to do everything we can to make it happen on Sunday. But it's going to happen where you work, live, and play. It's going to happen where you go to school. It's going to happen with the people that you sit next to. Because disciple-making starts with those that are far from God, and it ends with them becoming a disciple-maker themselves. Amen. Amen. So we need each other, and we need a system and a process to be able to go through this and faithfully live this out. Because we've got to extricate ourselves from all the nonsense that we made following Jesus into being. About, I'm going to use my gifts and how I serve, how, how I serve the Sunday morning team. That's great. And we need servants. And we, I, I encourage you, if you've never served on Sunday morning, please do. And I'm encouraged by so many people. We, had, we have PhDs that come and set out pens before, before Sunday service. That's amazing. We, we, this morning, we had an MBA from Harvard. Harvard come and just organize chairs for us. That's amazing. That's awesome. But that is not disciple making. That's leading the worship, leading us in worship. That's helping us build and cultivate a worshipful environment. But it's not disciple making, right? That's serving the church. And that's an amazing thing. And we should be servants, but we need to utilize our gifts for the mission of God. God has formed you and made you with certain gifts to live on mission for him. Are you utilizing them? Listen, you say, Cody, I thought you were going to talk about gospel communities. Now I am. <laughs> now I am. Gospel communities is how we live on mission for God together as a church. We need to do so together we need to do so in smaller groups, and we need to establish the values of who we are as a church within these gospel communities. It's hard to make disciples together if you don't trust one another, right? If you don't even know who, who the person is, if you, do, you don't think that they have your best interest in mind, listen, listen. That's why we start with family. Our values are gospel centrality, disciple-making, and family. We try to establish gospel communities to where you have a very deep connection with a gospel-centered family to where you know each other's stories, you care for one another, you practice hospitality to one another, you share, you grow, you eat, you talk, you fellowship, and you say, let's move forward together. How do you move forward together? You go into biblically rich resources that we provide for you. A lot of them are in the back right over there. And you say, now go deep with shared gospel language. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to, to walk with him, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to be transformed and changed? We need to have shared language. If we're going to make disciples together as a team to where we feel comfortable inviting people into our smaller spheres of influence within our gospel communities, we got to have shared language. It's confusing whenever people uh, over here are talking about uh, following Jesus and just going to church. And over here talks about like this, this crazy preacher guy with a microphone that's yelling at everyone about disciple, making disciples. Um, we have to have shared language. And, share, and, and all these things take a lot of time to form and develop. And then we move on to disciple making. Whenever Jesus says something right before he resurrect, or right before he ascends into heaven, we should listen to him, right? That's an important thing. The last thing that Jesus says, typically the last thing I say to my kids before they go to bed is this, and it's the most important thing. Please stay in your room. <laughs> Please stay in your room. And I say a bunch of stuff. 
But really, I'm saying a bunch of stuff just to kind of lead up to, please stay in there. You know, like it's like a reverse hostage situation. I'll give you whatever you want. Just stay in the room. Like that's what's going on. Um, And that's what I want them to get. The you. You see the tenderness? Have you beheld the Lamb of God? He laid down everything for you. He was the sacrificial lamb for you, for you. And so we can say, I can lay down. I can lay down for him. What do, you, what are we here for? 80 years? 85 years? Anybody want to get to like 112 or anything like that? I don't. Let's live. Let's live as if every single moment that we're here, we believe the gospel and that it's the only hope for humanity to be saved, to live life which is truly life. We need each other. We need to be reminded of each other. We need to remind each other of this truth week in and week out in our gospel communities. We have to be devoted to this. Because if not, guess what? We can put on good worship services, good youth services, good college services. We can do all that. We can hit the checklist. Or do you want to live a life that will last for eternity? Giving yourself over to people, being vulnerable with people so that you can understand what your purpose is, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be called out and brought forth by those that are really close to you. I promise you, what you're looking for in the Christian life are found in deeper community with a local church. I promise you that. Now, I'm not promising it's going to be perfect. I'm, promising, I'm not promising you that we're going to do things great here, but I'm promising you in the hard trudge of gospel community, the deepest, most profound, most profound aspects of your life with Christ will be found in that group. I promise you that. So that's my call. My call is to look to Christ If we want to start a movement here in Wichita Falls that reaches to the ends of the earth, guess what? We're going to have to be humble, humbled by the gospel, but we're also going to have to be bold and tenacious. And the only way we can be bold and tenacious is if we belong to a community, if we belong to a community that encourages us to be humble, bold, and tenacious. Okay? Let's pray.